the burden of responsibility and the obligation to keep our youth safe. Tonight, a city speaks out about what it's like to be caught in the crossfire of gang culture. Plus... First, social media ads, and now the conservatives are using robocalls to target Chinese language voters with disinformation. And... Hello! Hello, guys! An alternative to the traditional Thanksgiving dinner, where those usually eaten are the guests of honor. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks for joining us and happy Thanksgiving. For those trying to stop violence in our communities, there is no time off this holiday weekend. Many families directly affected by the drug and gang epidemic came together in the Fraser Valley late this afternoon to highlight a safe place to grieve the loss of loved ones. Grace Key has more from Abbotsford. We're at the Abbotsford Civic Plaza where more than 100 people have gathered for a candlelight vigil. The event is called Labeled, Caught in the Crossfire, and it offers a safe place for families who have lost their loved ones to grieve without judgment or labels being put on them. One person we spoke with here says he lost a very good friend, and it's events and organizations like these that help him grieve. This foundation actually just really helps me uh, just um, express him in a way and just try to get his message out there and like just try to make people unite and be better uh, for each other. Now is when I'm calling on the community to come together, to grieve together and to finally be able to move on together. Right? Until we're able to get that unity back in this community, we're going to continue to lose people. This event is hosted by Kids Play. It's a non-profit organization that works towards keeping kids safe and away from the lifestyle of drugs, gangs and violence. In Abbotsford, Grace Key, Global News. Personal security is becoming an issue after a scare involving Liberal leader Justin Trudeau last night. And the NDP's Jagmeet Singh was here in B.C. among the many Canadians casting an advanced vote. Travis Danraj has more on day 33 of the federal election campaign. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was back campaigning Sunday at a Thanksgiving food drive, just hours after an unspecified security concern. Trudeau wore a Kevlar bulletproof vest Saturday at a rally in Mississauga. His wife, who was scheduled to introduce him, did not take the stage. My uh, first concern was for the safety of my family and for uh, all the Canadians in the room. Uh, this will not change uh, at all how I campaign, uh, but I'm not going to make any further comments on it. Trudeau wouldn't comment on why the event, with thousands in attendance, was not cancelled, only saying he took the advice of the RCMP. On the West Coast, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and his wife voted in his riding of Burnaby, B.C. Singh offered support to Trudeau on the security scare, then pivoted to policy. You can choose me as your Prime Minister. Singh urged Canadians to shy away from strategic voting, saying the NDP are a viable choice. See, the difference between Conservatives and Liberals is that Conservatives don't hide that they're going to cut. But with the Liberals, it's not what they say in public, it's what they do in private. Privately, the Liberals actually do very much the same thing. While the bloc continued his push in Quebec Sunday. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer and Elizabeth May of the Green Party both took the day off, opting to spend time with family. And so we head into the final week of the campaign, one that could prove to be pivotal. The Liberals and the Conservatives are in a virtual dead heat right now, which means the NDP, 
The Greens, the Bloc, or even the People's Party of Canada could be the deciding factor between majority or minority, and also decide who Canada's next Prime Minister will be. Travis Danraj, Global News. It turns out the federal Conservatives aren't just using social media ads to target Chinese Canadian voters with disinformation. They're also using robocalls to make false claims, specifically that the Liberals will legalize hard drugs. Paul Johnson has the details on this NewsHour follow-up. In the hotly contested ridings of Richmond, it's that time of the campaign when voters can expect political robocalls. But check out this one. The message is in Cantonese and says, together let's stop Trudeau from legalizing drugs so we can allow Canada to see the blue sky again. It leaves a number, and that's the clue to who made the call. Thank you for calling the Conservative Party campaign office. Please leave your message or you can visit Saturday, we told you about a series of ads the Conservatives had placed on Facebook in Chinese, claiming that if re-elected, the Liberals were poised to legalize hard drugs. It may be an effective tactic, but is it true? It's fake news. It panders to prejudice. UBC political scientist Max Cameron points out that no party has any plan to do a cannabis-style legalization of hard drugs like cocaine and heroin. Well, a lot of Chinese Canadians are concerned about drug policy. Others have told us they're insulted by this campaign tactic. They say it's using the Chinese community to spread information they know would be dismissed as false if it was said in English. In BC Saturday, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer stood by the ads. This is something that is very important for Canadians to know about, and uh, and so we are t- we are telling them that the- these are the types of things that Liberals speculate about before the election. But by Sunday, Justin Trudeau had this to say: "I think it is reprehensible. We have been very clear. We will not." be legalizing hard drugs. Saying different things to different groups has long been a political tactic in multicultural Canada. But saying things that aren't true is a different thing altogether. In Richmond, Paul Johnson, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, with just one week to go before Election Day, what do each of the main parties need to do to maximize votes? Yeah, they've all got different challenges, Colin. They've all got different strengths and weaknesses in various parts of the country. Uh, but a lot of it comes down to turnout. So, again, let's go through the list of what each party's looking for. The Liberals uh, really have to see a replay of that high turnout amongst voters in 2015, particularly amongst young people. Uh, that's the key to their re-election hopes, is, is continue with that high turnout, because Justin Trudeau really amplified the vote in 2015. I think we have a graphic there, or perhaps we don't. Uh, the Conservatives, for their part, uh, a low turnout actually doesn't hurt the Conservative Party. Uh, in fact, because their voter base is so resilient and so reliable, a low, lower turnout actually helps them, which leads to some people criticizing them for deliberately suppressing the vote by going so negative. The NDP, uh, basically under Jagmeet Singh, have to get their vote back. Their uh, traditional voter base has to come back home. We've seen signs that that's actually happening in recent polls. Singh's having a very good campaign. And the Greens look for them to drop their pretense to run a national campaign and concentrate in writings that they actually 
actually have a chance of winning. And that means concentrating resources on South Vancouver Island ridings. There's about five ridings between Nanaimo and Victoria, where both the, the NDP and the uh, federal Liberals uh, both agree that the Greens have a shot, a realistic shot of winning those seats. So different challenges for different parties and different leaders. And because BC is so pivotal, look for all the leaders to return to British Columbia between now and voting day. Elizabeth May will be coming here on the island. Look for Jagmeet Singh and uh, Justin Trudeau and Shear spend at least a couple da days in Metro Vancouver where there's a lot of battle crown, battleground ridings at stake on Monday night. It's going to be a heck of a week to finish. And the race to the finish is going to be interesting. Thanks so much, Keith. Yeah. People living in a B.C. neighborhood are fed up with the freight line running through their community. Some of the 400 residents of Elrock near Mission held a protest at their CP train crossing today. They say the freight trains are getting longer and stopping more frequently three times in the past year, blocking access in and out of their small village. On Friday, they say the line was stopped for two hours, leaving them stuck in the event of an emergency. Our main concern here is that it could be an ambulance on the other side of the tracks and, uh, and not be able to get out. Uh, we have a lot of seniors in this neighborhood. We, we have no choice. We're held hostage by the rail. We want them to either park the train where there's not crossings if they have to wait for their turn to go over the bridge or separate the train so at least we can have access back and forth. A statement from CP Rail says a freight train experienced a mechanical issue on Friday and had to stop immediately, but they did not address the wider issue raised by the residents. It has been nearly six months since a deck collapsed in Langley, sending dozens of people attending a pre-wedding celebration to hospital. Well, now, as Shelby Tom reports, more than a dozen guests have filed lawsuits seeking damages. A lot of us were affected very um physically, emotionally, and mentally. This Thanksgiving, Rinku Garcha is grateful her family is whole. Thank God there was no loss of life. On April 19th, 40 family members and friends were injured after a second-story deck collapsed, sending everyone standing on it crashing onto the concrete below. Happiness, laughter that turned into such chaos and sadness. It happened during a pre-wedding celebration for Rinku at this Alder Grove rental home in the 5800 block of 268th Street. The wedding guests had congregated on the deck to take photos when disaster struck. I see all the people on the floor crying, screaming, right? And I was helpless. Some guests are still recovering from broken bones and two patients were in a coma for months with brain injuries. The father of the bride says he rented this house for the celebrations and was never informed of the deck's weight capacity. There was no signs. They, was, they never told me. It was not mentioned even in the contract, right? I don't want to go to details into this because it's in the, with the lawyers. While Garcha considers legal action, other wedding guests have already turned to the courts. At least 17 lawsuits seeking damages have been filed against the company that rented out the house, the owners of the property, the deck builder, and the township of Langley. The victims allege the accident was the result of negligence, claiming the defendants in part failed to properly design, construct, inspect, or maintain the deck, and failed to take any reasonable care to ensure that the plaintiff would be safe in using it. People that got hurt, right, they went through lots. 
and they should be compensated. None of the allegations have been proven in court and the defendants have not filed any legal responses. Meanwhile, Rinku admires her family's strength and resilience. The wedding went off without a hitch the following day and they continue to support each other through recovery. Everyone is going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Shelby Tom, Global News. A 24-year-old woman has been identified as the victim who was hit by a van early Saturday morning and dragged for several blocks in the downtown east side. Police believe she was walking near East Hastings and Jackson Avenue when she was struck. They also say the driver of the vehicle did not realize he had hit a pedestrian until he came to a stop at Columbia and Hastings. The driver is a man in his 30s from the U.S. He was taken into custody but was released as the investigation continues. Police believe alcohol was involved. A corned beef and pastrami recall to tell you about. Nossack Fine Meats is recalling Butcher's Pride corned beef and pastrami because of possible bacterial contamination. Butcher's Pride products are sold to hotel restaurants throughout B.C. and Alberta and Manitoba. The CFIA says it's possibility that these products have been distributed in other provinces as well. A man pretending to be a famous Hollywood actor is trying to scam Okanagan women out of money. Crime Stopper says it's just the latest romance scam. The fraudster makes promises to meet up with the victims, requesting money for passports and airfare. Crime Stoppers says in some cases, victims are also coerced into becoming money mules unknowingly. A person purported to be actor Jeremy Renner has apparently been engaging women on social media sites in the romance scam. Crime Stoppers reminds everyone to be suspicious and cautious when communicating over the internet. Renner, of course, is best known for his role as Hawkeye in the Avengers movie and has also taken to social media to warn his fans of the scam. Former Vancouver Island MLA and longtime mayor Jillian Trumper has died. Trumper passed away Friday after battling health issues. She was 83. Trumper was Port Alberni's mayor from 1983 to 2001 before being elected as MLA for Alberni Qualicum. She also served as the Union of BC Municipalities President and Alberni Clayquot Regional District Board Chair and was the first woman to be bestowed the honor of freedom of the city of Port Alberni. Trumper is survived by four children and five grandchildren. A celebration of life is planned for November 8th. Even here on the balmy west coast, it's a hazard for at least a few weeks each winter. Slippery, snow-covered sidewalks. Right now, the city's derelict shovelers get two warnings before being fined. But as Kristen Robinson reports, that may change as the city takes a second look at how it enforces snow and ice removal. Oh. They were a scourge in the worst winter in recent memory. Vancouver frozen in uncleared sidewalks from late 2016 to early 2017. You know it's the law. Yeah, we're going to do that. But snow shoveling scoff laws be warned. The city is seeking quotes on a consultant to review its snow and ice removal enforcement program. It's probably a good idea. I mean, sometimes in the winter you kind of walk, it's kind of treacherous, right? You slip and slide everywhere. The work would include reviewing current sidewalk inspection methods, notification of snow clearing bylaw violations, penalty assessment, and the routine enforcement, litigation, and prosecution methods currently in practice for violators. I think fines would really help. Vancouver issues two warnings before tickets, handing out more than 10,000 during that winter to forget 
while only about 500 cases were prosecuted for potential fines. I would be in favor of the one warning and just to like to push people to clean more the sidewalks. Calgary gives one warning before you pay a fine and at least 150 for the city to do the job. Warnings not always issued in Edmonton, where offenders face a $100 fine and cleanup costs. Charges are laid after one morning in Toronto, and you could be slapped with the clearing bill. I think it should be tougher. I think it's super dangerous, and like, it doesn't snow here a lot, so people don't know how to deal with the snow. Not to have to pay that fee if that suddenly comes up because one of us forgets to do it. One warning then being fine, that makes sense. While it may pay to pick up a shovel, one councillor says the city needs to dig out first before expecting the public to dig deep. Before we start um, looking towards stronger and harsher enforcement penalties to make sure that we're doing the job ourselves. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Thousands will head to the village of Fort Langley this Thanksgiving weekend for the annual Cranberry Festival. But a new housing proposal by a local councillor could bring even more people to town. And for some, that's a problem. Julia Foy reports on a redevelopment idea that's dividing the community. It's a tradition that just keeps growing. Hello, how are you? A celebration of all things Cranberry. I love the village. I come to visit every time I can. Go to the antique shops especially. It's different. It's more old-fashioned than the rest of the lower mainland. But this small community is divided over plans for future development. All towns go through an evolution as they grow and as time goes on. And we're no different, but uh, we, we do have uh, protection. This is a heritage conservation area. I want a concrete plan. There needs to be a plan in place first. Fort Langley is a very special community. The debate concerns a sitting councillor, Eric Woodward. His development company, Statewood Properties, applied to the township to demolish 11 buildings the company owns in Fort Langley. When it came to council in September, Woodward recused himself from the meeting. That's when some councillors found out a last-minute development application had been submitted. Why today, right now, did I just learn that there's an application downstairs? Council voted to send the demolition permits back until they could be presented with a full development plan on what will take their place. Heritage advocates were pleased. I was very happy with how the meeting went tonight. I think council really came through. Other residents were not. I am disappointed in it and I think it's just wasting more money and time. Global News has received a copy of the development application plans that caught some councillors off guard. It has architectural drawings for 41 apartments and over 35,000 square feet of commercial space. The borders Glover, Mary and Church Streets. You know, it doesn't look bad as long as it stays with the town style, character of the town. Yeah. I don't think it would be that much of an issue to see a couple nice historic looking buildings on the frontage as long as they kept a big piece for the park. Eric Woodward says in an email, the foundation applied for this application to give the community comfort that the board's plan is indeed to attempt redevelopment. But Eric Woodward's foundation is not providing redevelopment plans for many other boarded up buildings. He says it's not possible to redevelop at this time because of costs and uncertainty and the need to relocate tenants in the shops that are still open. So many of these derelict buildings aren't going anywhere soon. I am very much in support of um, getting rid of the boarded up buildings. I think that we're probably at a point where we have to move forward. If I owned a business here, I'd be a little frustrated when you've got half the block, especially at this end, boarded up. Like, get on with it. As for the new development plans, the mayor says nothing is happening overnight.
It would be nice to see it within a year, uh, but I, I can't predict that. Julia Foy, Global News. An artist in Coquitlam didn't take much downtime on this holiday weekend. She's working hard to finish her project in time to mark an important day of commemoration. Laura Johnson's large mural has been in the works on the east-facing side of the Royal Canadian Legion Coquitlam branch since September. But due to bad weather, progress has been slow. The artist has been working between the raindrops to finish the mural in time for Remembrance Day, when it will be a key part of the Remembrance Day service. Uh, Laura came up with the design, she, she designed it, she put it out there and she's the artist and we're just amazed at what's happening. It's caused quite a stir in the neighbourhood. We got obtained uh, a generous donation from Bear Paint, supplied the paint for us and here we are, painting. To be involved painting a mural that's so representative of our history and in times today I'm very thankful to live in Canada and have so much respect and gratitude for the generations before us that have fought for our freedom. And horrific situation is unfolding overseas. In a surprise move, President Donald Trump has ordered all U.S. troops to withdraw from northern Syria. It comes as the situation on the ground there deteriorates. Turkish forces and their allies have been attacking Kurdish forces in the region, forces that helped the U.S. defeat ISIS in Syria. And the concern now, a Kurdish genocide and the resurgence of ISIS. There are multiple reports tonight of U.S. troops on the move in northern Syria after that surprise announcement by the U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper that all American forces in northern Syria would be moving out. He said that was as a result of the Turks moving further south than they'd originally planned. And so what we find ourselves is we have American forces likely caught between two opposing advancing armies, and it's a very untenable situation. It seems that Damascus's troops are now moving towards two towns in the north of Syria, preparing to move in and retake those towns. Today, too, a direct rebuke from Turkey's President Erdogan to the United States. He gave a television address in which he said, those who think they can make Turkey turn back with threats of sanctions are gravely mistaken. And finally, there are multiple reports of human rights violations, indeed war crimes, of a, a Turkish female politician being killed by Turkish-backed forces, of Kurdish prisoners being executed on a roadside, uh, of a convoy involving civilians being bombed and civilians dying. The U.S. State Department says it is looking at these reports, which it says are extremely disturbing. Bill Neely, NBC News, Erbil. 16-year-old climate activist Greta Thunberg is headed to Alberta. The Swedish teen announced on Twitter that she was making her way to the province after touring the U.S. Midwest. Thunberg writes, heading north again, now follows a few days of well-needed rest while enjoying the spectacular nature of Wyoming, Idaho and Montana, then to Alberta, Canada. Thunberg captured attention around the world with her weekly climate strike, sailing across the Atlantic to attend a climate summit at the U.N. last month, and with her impassioned speech about the climate crisis to world leaders. 
A crisis continues in Manitoba, where tens of thousands remain without power after a snowstorm hammered parts of the province. Manitoba Hydro says it could be days before electricity is restored to all of its customers. A snowstorm blasted southern Manitoba, prompting a state of emergency being declared. Portage La Prairie, about 90 kilometers west of Winnipeg, has been especially hard hit. The community posting that the city's sewage lift operations, stations rather, were operating on backup power and that residents should not flush their toilets. There are reports of snow drifts close to two and a half meters high. In some cases, crews were dealing with broken transmission towers, which can't be fixed quickly. That crane in Halifax that collapsed is finally coming down after dangling off a construction site for more than a month. Using two other cranes, crews began dismantling the 30,000-kilogram steel structure today. And the crane crumpled under the force of Dorian's hurricane-force winds when the storm hit Nova Scotia on September 7th. Officials declared a localized state of emergency to ensure safety in the area. And work is expected to continue through the... Rescue operations are underway in Japan after the worst typhoon to hit the country in 60 years made landfall. At least 33 people are dead and several more are still missing after the storm brought fierce winds, heavy rain and widespread flooding. According to the Japanese government, nearly 1,300 homes were flooded. Canada's national men's rugby team put their muscle to use in the wake of the devastating typhoon. After being knocked out of the Rugby World Cup, the players picked up shovels and helped clear mud from the streets. Canada was set to play its final match against Namibia yesterday, but it was cancelled due to the storm. Once the disappointment of missing the match was over, then the team offered up, is there anything they can do to help? There's been a typhoon here, there's been flooding throughout the cities, and uh, they offered up to help, and in, and in the afternoon, we got on a bus and went out to a community that had been hit with four foot high of water, there was mud in the streets, they were helping older ladies clean out their homes, literally these straw bedding mattresses that were really, really heavy when they're wet, players cleaning out their home of all their contents, so, um, uh, you know, dreadful situation, a little bit of help from the guys, they'll still be cleaning up for weeks to come here, um, but in the end, a remarkable experience. What great ambassadors. Well, a few of us around here, Yvonne, are big panda fans. And now there are two more little pandas on the planet. Have a look. Not how we typically think of panda cubs, but these little ones are brand new. A giant panda gave birth to twins at a breeding base in southwest China yesterday. Staff at the research base said the delivery went smoothly and described the cub's mother as experienced. Of course, this is what they will look like before too long. A total of 11 cubs have been born at the base this year alone. The Thanksgiving dinner that's not like any many of you have been to before. We're going to explain all of this right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, this is, this is a great story, but, but look at that. Look at that shot behind you. It's fantastic Gorgeous. out there. This is a great way. Uh, we're almost uh, rounding off the long weekend and we've got more sunshine in store. And I'll show you on your Monday in just a moment, but a fantastic shot. It's stunning out there overlooking English Bay and it'll remain dry if you do have plans, if you're commuting to any of your dinners this evening. We're sitting at 11 degrees, the southwesterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. Temperatures today got into the double digits again, 13 close to the average for this time of the year. A record on this day, 22, was set back in 1961. Nine 
minus the high today for Kamloops, the peace at 5 degrees. Coastal sections were into the teens for most areas, with Victoria up to 13. Currently sitting at 11 degrees for Victoria, 7 for Ka- uh, Kelowna, and areas near Williams Lake with your current temperature at 5 degrees. Now we do have some cloud cover that is going to build in once again across the south coast. It'll be overnight and for the morning hours, and we're watching this next weather maker that is going to push across the province unsettled and a significant amount of rain is going to move in. Right now, wind warning has been issued for Haida Gwaii, and this includes tomorrow evening, where the winds could range between 80 and potentially up to 100 kilometers per hour. We'll be keeping a close eye, but that's going to start to push in, and we will see it towards the evening on Monday. Most areas, though, for your Thanksgiving Monday, the morning hours, cloud cover by the afternoon, some breaks, and then that system moves in. It'll be heavy at times. It'll intensify across the south coast of Metro Vancouver by the evening hours on Tuesday, and I've put the future cast for rainfall totals into Wednesday night, with many spots getting upwards of up to 30 millimeters, house sound, and stretching up to Whistler be, could be closer to 50 millimeters, so we are going to be looking at heavy rain. The piece for your Monday, gusty winds at times up to 40 kilometers per hour, dry for Thanksgiving, but then on Tuesday, especially for the morning hours, a few light flurries or snowfall paired with windy conditions. White horse for the morning hours, the wind chill at minus 8, light snowfall on Tuesday. It's coastal sections, so we'll start to see that system moving in. It'll be heavy rain by the evening hours and very windy conditions. Most areas 40 up to 60, but Haida Gwaii could see upwards of up to 100 kilometers per hour. Caribou and Central Interior, morning fog patches, afternoon sunshine, rain and heavy at times for Tuesday. Columbia and Kootenai, two more dry days. Your Thanksgiving Monday up to 10 degrees. The tops in Okanagan, double digits. The snow level sitting at 1,200 meters. Tuesday, a dry day, but the rain's going to move in towards the interior on Wednesday. Whistler, fantastic, 10 degrees, most of the sunshine by the afternoon, and along the island and Metro Vancouver. So we'll still see some morning cloud cover. It's by the afternoon that we'll see a partly cloudy sky. If you're planning on getting out for your Thanksgiving, maybe working off that turkey, it'll be nice out there. A partly cloudy sky up to 14 degrees. Tuesday, timing is good. Back to work and school. It'll be raining. Heavy at times, especially towards the evening. Quite soggy leading in towards next week. Tomorrow, up to 14 degrees. Colleen? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, many families and friends are enjoying a Thanksgiving meal this weekend, and for a lot of them, that includes turkey. A group in Aldergrove wants you to enjoy turkey, too, just not on your fork. Jordan Armstrong explains. Feast your eyes on Mo and Leonard. At this holiday meal, there's no foul play. We basically just have a, have a potluck dinner with, uh, that's all vegan, all, all uh, no animal products, and it's just a, it's our way of celebrating Thanksgiving. The birds live at Happy Herd Farm, an Aldergrove sanctuary for abused or at-risk farm animals. There are goats, chickens, cats and dogs, and the most adorable baby lamb. Okay, back to Mo and Leonard. Here, they are friends, not food. They're really friendly. They, they'll follow you around and they want to be pet. They love the attention. They love their, their head scratched and their, their belly scratched. So they, they're, it's pretty, people are pretty surprised at, at how, how social the turkeys are. According to the sanctuary, 20 million turkeys are killed for food each year in Canada. And the people here believe the animals deserve better. Especially on a holiday like Thanksgiving where we're thanking for so much that we have. Why was, does something have to die so that you can just eat it? Two turkeys stuffed at the Thanksgiving table. 
not on it. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Mo and Leonard. Leonard. Oh, the names are so good. So adorable. I I met one of their friends today. They're not going to be happy with me. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, Yeah, we understand. Yeah, Yeah. we understand. I feel bad now. I really do. I do. (laughs) Don't. It's okay. What you got coming up? Uh, This one. Am I talking here? Is it okay? You are. I don't know. Where are we? Yeah, we're in a big swing. I'll get out of your way. Uh, Big NFL Sunday, of course. Seahawks in uh, Cleveland looking for a fifth win of the season. Nice comeback victory for Seattle. So we'll uh, show you highlights of that. Uh, look back at the Canucks win and uh, James Paxton, the Ladner, Canadian boy, pitching uh, in game two of the LCS for the Yankees. Nice. So highlights of that too. Lots That's going on. Kind yeah. of exciting. Kind of the day where you just want to stay indoors and watch a little sports on TV or watch a little very do sports. Or, on TV. Right. or just watch a lot of football on TV. Doesn't matter what the weather is. Good point. Doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> I guess you can always record them. All right. Thanks very much, Colleen. Uh, Russell Wilson has uh, never missed a game in his NFL career. 118 consecutive starts, all for the Seahawks, including today in Cleveland, where uh, Wilson used all of his tools to fashion another Seahawk comeback. Seattle spotted Cleveland a 14-point lead in the first half, but Wilson, who still has not thrown an interception this year, led Seattle back for the win, improving them to 5-1 and and... 3-0 3-0 on the road. Wilson, 12 touchdown passes, averaging nearly 300 yards through the air, playing as good as he ever has. First quarter, they were down seven, but Russell pulls it down, scampers in to the uh, touchdown, 16-yard run. The PAT failed, but Seahawks just down 1-7-6. Browns answer right back. It's their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who finds room. He, too, runs in untouched for the touchdown. 14-6 Browns, and then... Early second quarter, Mayfield finds a wide-open Ricky Seals-Jones. And, hey, what's going on here? 20-6 Browns. Seahawks in trouble. Browns driving for more. When the Hawk defense comes up big, Tedrick Thompson picking it off in the end zone. That was a big play. Not only do they get the stop, but they drive it the other way. And Russell finds Jerron Brown for the TD. The two-pointer failed, but the Hawks down just 220-18. And uh, considering how down they were, yeah, you got to celebrate that with a little touchdown dance. Third quarter, Seahawks take their first lead. Wilson, plenty of time, fires another strike to Jerron Brown, 25-20 for Seattle. But in the fourth, the Browns regain the lead. Nick Chubb bowls his way in for his second TD of the game, 28-25, Cleveland. However, plenty of time for Wilson to get it back, and he does. First of all, takes off to keep the drive alive. Russell rushing for 31 yards on the day. Next play, Wilson to Tyler Lockett. Initially, this was ruled a touchdown. Looked like he got in. They reviewed it, said he was just short, but the Hawks punched it in for the go-ahead TD a play later. And then the defense made sure it was enough another tip pass another pick this one by kj Wright and the seahawks win their third game against the afc north this season they also beat the steelers and bengals seattle now five and one after the 32 28 win over the browns it's all about motion it's all about jimmy garoppolo in the 4-0 49ers trying to stay perfect at the rams la went ahead early but the 49ers answer garoppolo to dante pettis takes it to the two 49ers would take it in from there Tie it up 7-7. The Rams, not the juggernaut that made it to the Super Bowl a year ago. 
pitch to Daryl Henderson, botched. 49ers recovered deep in L.A. territory, turned it into another short TD run to go up 14-7, and the 49ers stay perfect, beat the Rams 20-7. San Fran 5-0, lead the NFC West. The Rams drop to 3-3. One against Tampa. Jag. Saints and Jags from Jacksonville, New Orleans 3-0 since Drew Brees went down with a thumb injury. But Teddy Bridgewater's done a great job filling in. Not pretty today, but did just enough. This fourth quarter TV pass to Jared Cook. The difference, Saints win 13-7. They're now 5-1. Cowboys and Jets from New York. New York 0-4 to start the season, but they've got their young quarterback, Sam Darnold, back, and he was a difference maker today. How about this? Going deep to Robbie Anderson. Hits him in stride. That's a 92-yard touchdown, the second longest touchdown pass in Jets history. Darnold was the number three overall pick back in 2018 and showing his pedigree today. Fourth quarter, though, Cowboys coming back. Dak Prescott, who's pretty good himself, on the uh, quarterback draw, gets Dallas to within two. They need the two-pointer to tie, but big pressure by the Jets. And Prescott's throw incomplete, and the Jets win their first of the season 24-22 over the Cowboys, who fall to 3-3. Three and three. Texans and Chiefs from Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs rolling early. Mahomes to Damian Williams. And he is going to scamper in for the 14-yard touchdown. 17-3 KC after one. But Deshaun Watson and the Texans have a big second quarter. First, it's Duke Johnson. Diving for the end zone, just gets inside the cone. 11-yard touchdown gets the Texans to within 17-9. Now down just one late in the half. Watson will keep it and run it in. 20 unanswered points in the second for Houston. They have the lead. Fourth quarter, the Texans down one now, but it's Deshaun Watson one more time. Will not be denied. What a move here. And then spins his way over the goal line for the game-winning TD. Chiefs with back-to-back home losses, 31-24 the final. Both teams are 4-2. and two. Welcome back. The Yankees dominated Game 1 of the ALCS on Saturday, shutting out the Astros 7-0. Now that Houston lineup is loaded, so to do it again tonight in Game 2 would take a great effort, and the Yankees are hoping that Ladner's James Paxton can do just that. Paxton getting his second start of these playoffs. Wasn't at his best against the Twins in his first start, but he's had nine days off and should have plenty in the tank. Paxton 10-0 in his last 12 starts has been dominant. Bottom of the second, though, two on, and Paxton is going to give up a hot shot into the corner and left an RBI double for Carlos Correa and the Astros are on the board they're up one nothing but Paxton does settle down strands a couple of runners as he strikes out Jake Marisnik to end the inning could have been much worse in the third Paxton with his third strikeout of the game but he gave up a couple of hits after that and Aaron Boone went and made a pitching change a short leash in the playoffs Paxton wasn't bad but with 13 pitchers the Yanks have a lot of options and they got out of the inning still down one and then Aaron Judge of Justin Verlander first hit of the game for the Yankees is a two-run shot and they lead right now 2-1 in the fifth 
The Canucks showed last night they are a little more capable of winning those tough physical games. The addition of Tyler Myers, Jordy Ben, Michael Furland, and JT Miller gives them much more beef in the corners where all the battles take place, and they ground out a 3-2 win against the Flyers for their second straight home ice victory of the season. Elaine Vigneault back at Rogers, new coach of the Flyers this year. Of course, the Canucks all-time winner uh, coach with the uh, coaching wins in Vancouver. And Canucks got the... Uh, Opening goal, Brock Besser with his first of the year. After the tip in front by Pedersen, second period now tied at one. Chris Tanev with the shot. That's deflected in by Tanner Pearson, who is poised to have a very good year for Vancouver. But the Flyers outshot Vancouver 16-5 in the third and finally tie it on the power play. Oscar Lindblom finishing off a nice pass play. Made it 2-2. They played overtime, did not score. So in the shootout, Elias Pettersson, look at the stutter move and then off the post and in. That is unstoppable as he beats Carter Hart. Flyers tied it, but Tanner Pearson is going to come in and fire it right between the pads. Advantage Canucks. Kevin Hayes has to score. Jacob Markstrom, though, shuts him down and the Canucks win at 3-2. Even their record at 2-2 next up home to the Red Wings on Tuesday. NHL tonight, Penguins and Jets from Winnipeg. We'll pick it up in the second, tied at one. Pens on the power play, little slap pass, deflection, and then finished off by Jake Gensel. Pittsburgh would go up 3-1, but the Jets get it back on the power play. Patrick Lyon, a shot off his skate in front, right on the blade of Mark Scheifele, and he won't miss from there. 3-2 Penguins, but then Pittsburgh took over from there late in the second. Look at this play by Crosby. Sidney Crosby at the side of the net just kicks it to his teammate Dominic Simone for the tap-in. 4-2 Pittsburgh after two, and they went on to route the Jets. 7-2 the final. And the Rugby World Cup from Japan, the host taking on Scotland. No way this match was going to be postponed because of the typhoon. Japan's never made it through to the knockout stage of the World Cup, but motivated on so many levels on and off the pitch. Kenki Fukuoka streaking in as... uh, Japan jumped out on Scotland, the country that knocked them out of the uh, knockout round last year, or last World Cup. Then it's uh, Fukuoka delivers the uh, strip here, and then we'll go in for another try as Japan wins. They are off to the quarterfinals. They'll get two-time champion South Africa next week. The other quarters have New Zealand, Ireland, England, Australia, and Wales, France. Or in other words, all of the heavy hitters who we expected to be in the quarterfinals, but... Big win for Japan. You can had, see the emotion there. It's nice for totally. them. Totally. Had to root for Japan yeah. on that one. That's so cool. Thanks so much, Barry. Okay, another dream come true for a longtime BC Children's Hospital fundraiser. Excellent. suited up yesterday at Skydive Vancouver in Abbotsford for the first time ever tandem jump. Casey has battled a brain tumor most of his life and even survived a debilitating stroke all the while relentlessly fundraising for cancer research in BC Children's Hospital. This weekend's leap was one of the ways he marked his 19th birthday. Isn't that awesome? I like Casey. We all know him from all the uh, from the children's uh, telethon that we do and it's uh, wonderful he's a great guy yes. and happy birthday yes. <laughs> happy birthday really quick on the weather yes uh, we are going to be looking at uh cloud cover for the morning hours breaks for the afternoon pleasant and then rain moving in on tuesday sounds good okay as we go we want to wish you a happy thanksgiving we also want to show you how some folks are getting ready for the next big celebration <laughs> the uh, halloween parade took place in downtown vancouver today 
Have a great night. Have a look at this.